Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Call to Action, the sixth episode of season four. So last week, we talked about how they had finally kind of set up all of our players, like how Kara is now starting with the articles on aliens, and Jean is set in his role as a kind of like a private detective for when the aliens can't go to the police. And we had the initial setup of the conflict at the DEO with Colonel Haley coming in. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, now the season has started. And this feels like really the first episode where everything is together and all the gears are in motion. Yeah. And like we're playing the game that they set up. Yeah. And there were quite a lot of things in motion throughout the course of this episode. Yeah. We had a lot of storylines intersecting and such. And one thing to note in general for the episode that has been one thing that we've talked about a couple times, we've been tracking how they are handling tone. Like, this is obviously very intense subject matter for the characters and for the viewers. Yeah. And having scenes that are really intense and, like, kind of too close to home, but then also trying to have fun moments and, like, have some lightheartedness. This episode was kind of a neat demonstration of that because it was kind of back and forth, but not. I didn't think it was too jarring. No, it wasn't. Um, an example of one scene where the transition was very brief, but it was really nice, was Kara commenting about the dog running away from her and kind of that opening conflict where she saves Manchester Black mm. from the hate group that's attacking people. Yeah, and then we had stuff like the interaction with Alex Carr and Haley in the beginning of the episode when Haley was kind of restricting them to be within their purview. It was very like serious scene where you, I as a viewer was very like kind of frustrated. And then right immediately after that, it's kind of fun with Alex and Kara. And then we have like Brainy's fight scene later in the episode. Yeah, which was like in the middle of it was during the point where the stakes of the episode had risen pretty high in terms of the Children of Liberty going around to the homes that had been labeled or buildings that had been labeled. Yeah. And they catch him in the middle of trying to remove one of their markers from a building. Mm -hmm. And that setup is like very stressful because, you know, we are, we've seen Brainy in an interaction similar to this in the pizza shop. And it's like, there's a lot of context around this scenario where it's a minority versus a group of people who want to assault the minority. And then the scene itself ends up being a lot lighter. Yeah. And it's helped along by the very dramatic classical music. And mm -hmm. he's kind of just taunting them. And actually his fighting style was in some ways very similar to what we saw Manchester Black doing in the previous episode as mm -hmm. far as kind of just using physics against them. Yes, good catch. And then obviously we had when the Children of Liberty were attacking the family, like the father and the young girl, mm -hmm. which was a very like dark setup. And then suddenly Kara is fighting a dragon and it's kind of like fun action. It's still intense, but it's like a entertaining intense. Yeah. As opposed to if she were, you know, directly interacting with the Children of Liberty, it would probably be less fun intense. Yeah. And then that scene eventually ended in a nice note with the dragon and Kara kind of talking the <laughs> the dragon down into being a lizard again. Yeah. And the other thing that was neat in the structure of this episode was it kind of went back to its roots in terms of having Kara and Alex very much on the same team and on the same page throughout the whole episode because they were working together in that scene. And that was how Kara was able to figure out how to talk down the dragon. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason that they were engaging in this conflict was because they'd been working together the whole time anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to see that. But one of the things that I found at least a little bit frustrating, and I understand it's coming from a place of that they're trying to balance out the tone so that the whole episode doesn't overall feel completely hopeless and kind of bleak. Mm -hmm. 
was that by putting the humor into the DEO scenes in the ways that they did sometimes made Alex's characterization a little bit inconsistent because in theory some of it was Brainy's doing but you also have Alex not stopping to consider Colonel Haley's agenda at all or even recognizing like oh she's there to do oversight so she's probably gonna be monitoring like what you're doing Mm -hmm. on the computer and it was especially a weird choice because they did a couple very similar storylines like that in season one when Alex was trying to investigate what was going on with Jean and then when she was directly trying to get information from Max Lord and then you also had it at the end when Kara was trying to sneak to hear what was happening in the interrogations with Alex and with Jean. So for a character who usually plans things several steps ahead and is really good at figuring out people, it was a little weird to see absolutely none of that. Mm-hmm. And some of it was brought on by just like the, the silliness of the stuff with Brainy, which like, OK, that's fine. But I feel like there probably mm-hmm. could have been other ways to do it that were a little bit less contrived for that conflict at the end. There are ways. Yeah, they could have had her be aware of that, but in a fun way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And with a little bit more of like active sneaking. Yeah, some active sneaking would have fixed that. But this did come about because of the tune thing. I think they just... hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, that I hope eventually gets clarified a little bit better was the way that Colonel Haley was chastising Kara for patrolling things. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, Kara may be a contractor with them, but she's still also a private citizen in her off time. Mm -hmm. And so technically, unless she was actively supposed to have been working at that very moment, which they didn't make clear, she can do whatever she wants. So that conflict also was a little bit odd. Not to mention, she had mentioned in the scene that, like, she heard something and then went after it. It's like, if you are just a citizen standing by when somebody is being attacked, then... Yeah, a good Samaritan intervention. Mm -hmm. but with powers (laughs) yeah so the way they set that all up was a little weird yeah but it was entertaining so (laughs) also true do you think that kind of like the salute situation that Haley was just kind of attempting control without necessarily having the ability to have that control yes because alex actually specifically mentions that as soon as they leave and she and Kara are walking down the stairs i was like oh yay we talked about that last week (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then they make their wonderful harry potter references (laughs) Like the millennial children they are. Speaking of Harry Potter references, we already talked a little bit about the dragon that we saw, but an interesting tie back to the title of the episode was in how the dragon was acting to protect the family that it was living with. So the title of the episode is Call to Action, which is a term that you might see in like marketing a lot, Mm -hmm. trying to like beckon somebody to act in some way. And the characters in this episode, pretty much all the main characters, we saw them feeling like they need to act. And we saw them specifically feeling like they need to act to protect their families or loved ones yes or their found families (laughs) and on this the thanksgiving episode so those two concepts the call to action and thanksgiving kind of mesh together to create this need to act to protect family which we also see with the children of liberty we saw with the guy who james was interacting with in order to try to reach the agent of liberty he said during their kind of confrontation later on in the episode that he just wants to protect his family and he also then says it's my family first which is kind of comparable to Earth First and that idea that it's either my family or your family and that kind of struggle and the choice that I'm going to put my family ahead of yours. Which is interesting when you consider if every 
everybody's attitude is me first and my family first, what does that do to a society? Because if everyone's acting in their own self-interest, you you have nothing of a community. Yeah, it's not quite stronger together. Sure isn't. And then we also see with, as we're talking about the conflict with Carr and Alex versus Haley and Haley, how she attempted to prevent them from acting against this force of the Children of Liberty to counteract the signs that they see within the leaflets that were being dispersed across National City. And their struggle was basically trying to kind of circumvent her and, and be able to act. So as I kind of said already, that was fun in the sense that it gave us this moment of Kara and Alex bonding in a work situation. Like we've seen them so far this season hanging out at home, but their their work lives have been a little bit more fragmented. Mm -hmm. Especially as we're starting to see this Children of Liberty movement attempting in its own way to fragment the relationships between the, the characters that we know. It was nice to see them immediately presenting a totally united front mm. against it. And it made a good contrast with the way that all the other things were happening in the episode later with these kind of disparate pieces moving around. Mm. So, and it was very reminiscent of kind of some of the things they did in season one. It also reminded me of how they were crime solving together in the Midvale episode last season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which was very funny. Those two together, when they have like a common force to work against are fun. Yes. And shenanigans to pursue. Which, oh man, poor Eliza, man. <laughs> As you said, when the two of them are unified against an opposing force, like, oh man. Right? Like Eliza thought they were trouble when they were fighting, but... <laughs> <laughs> They're more trouble when they get along. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go on secret night flights. Yeah. But I do want to call attention to one thing Alex said in the course of trying to convince Haley to take the Children of Liberty as a threat that was relevant to the DEO. So the, f the first issue we have is that in that initial conversation in the conference room at the DEO, Haley's actually right in what she says to Alex and Kara. It's not the DEO's job to worry about the Children of Liberty. They're not an extraterrestrial threat. Mm -hmm. That is the job of domestic national law enforcement. So that would be the job of like the FBI and potentially Homeland Security. Yeah. What we saw throughout the past couple seasons with Jean as the director was them kind of veering away from that original goal a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. In conjunction with the sort of message of the show in general. Yeah, so Jean did steer things away, but they also didn't intervene necessarily in specifically human conflicts or go after human targets unless they were working with aliens or, you know, in the case of Cadmus, they were directly attacking the DEO. But in her attempt to persuade Haley to to take the Children of Liberty seriously as a, a relevant threat, Alex makes this statement about understanding the severity of the manifesto that is factually correct, but like none of those examples should have ever been used and definitely not together. Because mm -hmm. she says, from the White Rose in Germany to the CIA in Guatemala in 1954, leaflets like this were used to activate uprisings. And yes, that's true. However, you're trying to persuade a military leader who is in charge of a security operation to go after what the show is portraying as like its version of neo-Nazis, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't say that and then compare the White Rose Rebellion in Munich, which was a student uprising against the Nazis during World War II, because those are completely the opposite of each other. And you're painting a false equivalence between the two. And then on the next one, Alex 
to saying that the White Rose Rebellion in, in Germany was similar to the CIA, which is a state-sponsored organization, intervening in a foreign country and overthrowing its government. Like, they're not remotely the same. And also, Alex is currently an employee of the federal government. So by her trying to say that her own government did something that should have been interpreted as a terrorist act, that they should have done something about, A, makes no sense. And B, it's not a thing you should be trying to sell your boss on who is also in the military. Like, yeah. <sighs> so uh, that was that was a bad choice there. That was a, a low point in the usage of referencing history. Yeah, that was a poor use of history for that. And I really think they just picked some kind of random obscure things that they hoped people wouldn't really know what they were. Except that if you've studied the Holocaust, you will know about the White Rose. All of the kids, all of the students who rebelled in it were executed. So really poor choice. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of relevant to the point that I brought up when we talked about 401 with the small details of, you know, the title cards on the cities that weren't correct. Yeah. If you're going to expand the world and you're going to ground it in these real world things and you're going to have a character who's a history professor and you're going to demonstrate that the characters are part of the real world, you can't get that stuff wrong because it A, makes the world less credible and B, in cases like this where you're conflating two things that are the complete opposite of each other, you're also misleading your audience in kind of the same way that Ben does later in his debate with Kara. Mm. And that's not a good look. No. So we had some slightly better usage of history in how Lockwood is, is sort of twisting the audience's perception of history and historical events to suit his own needs and to present the children of liberty and the anti-alien people of National City and possibly also the rest of, you know, Earth to frame them as equivalent to the Native Americans. And we saw him do this a couple times during the episode when he was on, I think it was the same Counterpoint yeah. show, but they showed a clip of him earlier on in the episode and then they actually had him on later. Yes. But we saw him really kind of drive that point home in the debate that he had with Kara at that Counterpoint show. And debates in this episode are an interesting sort of motif because we have this debate about Thanksgiving and then later on in Thanksgiving, we have a debate during Thanksgiving dinner. And then they start the episode with the two people. It was like the totally wholesome debate at the start of the episode. Yes. They had a debate that was kind of also concerned with Thanksgiving about pie. Kara's favorite. <laughs> it was apple versus pumpkin. For the record, I'm team pumpkin. Same. Oh, high five. Yay. We here at Supergirl's Attic endorse pumpkin. <laughs> pumpkin is the clear pie winner. <laughs> So we had the wholesome debate. Yes, wholesome debate about pie. And what's interesting about this sort of debate motif throughout the episode is that I think something that's on a lot of people's minds right now is the fact that you're going to go to Thanksgiving and you may be arguing politics while you're there. Yeah. So it was interesting to see this debate motif in the Thanksgiving episode. And then, of course, we have the actual like televised debate with Kara and Lockwood in which they talked about Thanksgiving, had a little debate about its meaning in a way. And it kind of went as we had expected, although I had 
had been fearing that it would be really bad because we've never seen Kara do this before. Right. Go argue on TV. It went actually better than I expected. Well, not than I expected. It went better than I feared. Speaking of fear. <laughs> yes. Hope prevailed at this time a little bit where she wasn't completely out of her depth. Like she looked like she fit up there. And she was comfortable in the space too. Yes. She had like a little bit of nervousness before she went on, but I didn't have too much secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> But it went the way that we expected in the sense that Kara had a very idealized and emotional connection to what they were talking about, mm-hmm. which in this case is the perception of Thanksgiving and how it connects to the current situation with aliens versus Lockwood, who had this sort of logical, like slick argument and like a twist on Manipulative. it. Manipulative. Yeah. Yes. Which is not Kara's, not a technique she would be likely to implement. And it's funny because when Kara starts talking about what Thanksgiving means, mm-hmm. if you know the context and like if you've been paying attention to what Lockwood has been doing before you kind of see this coming where he's about to twist what Kara said. He's gonna pounce. Yeah. He's gonna add the historical context and then twist the context to suit his needs. He's that person who's just waiting to be able to go on a tangent about his own personal agenda. (laughs) He absolutely is. And she unfortunately walks right into it a little bit. Yeah. Because even earlier on in the episode might have do in that he might do this. He said, throughout history, the downtrodden have found ways to make their voices heard before the mainstream forgets about them. But the irony in this case is that the mainstream humanity are the downtrodden. Well, and we in the audience are also kind of expecting it because we saw him do the same thing in 403 where he started twisting points in U.S. history where we as the mainstream population of the United States did terrible things Mm -hmm. to minority groups. And specifically the Native Americans. Yes, and specifically Native Americans who to this day are still very marginalized and not given their due by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And he keeps trying to make this connection that he and others who are part of the majority and benefiting from lots of things about the way U.S. society is structured are somehow the oppressed minority (laughs) instead of the minorities. Yeah. It's also kind of framing it like the people who are native to the place. Yeah. Like prioritizing them. Like nativist. Yeah. So he's trying to link it to the Native Americans by being like, we were here first as human people on the earth. Mm-hmm. And then he very conveniently is like, what if the aliens are like the British and they colonize everyone? Yeah, so we kind of saw this coming as viewers, but Carr did not. No. <laughs> Which is kind of like a fun little thing I'm tying in personally in my brain to how she hated history when she was growing up in Midvale. Oh my goodness, yes. Human history, at least. Why do I have to endure these classes? <laughs> Ugh. I just want to be watching Isaiah Washington on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it's okay, Cara scene. So it'll be interesting to see how she holds up with this history teacher. And there's also the fact that she didn't have a lot of time to prepare. No, she only had, what, a couple hours at most? Yeah, and Nia was helping her and falling asleep. So it was a little bit of an uphill struggle. And you had noted that she, again, didn't end up researching the person that she was talking to, like we saw last week. Yeah, well, and in this context, it surprised me a little more just because, like, Lena had already made the arrangements and typically you get the bio of the other person who's going to be there. Yeah. Well, I also was wondering if maybe she did read up on him. Oh, but... But she would have found something with his face because he's been in the news on, like, other video clips and stuff. Right. Hmm. Well, maybe she was reading it. Maybe she just read something but didn't actually, like, research outside of that. 
Yeah. Plus she was working on like the sort of rhetoric aspect a lot. Anyway, she seems shocked to see Ben and well, I do wonder if she recognizes him. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think the shock was more that she remembered him <laughs> from that altercation where she threw him out of the bar, basically. Yeah. I wonder if other people caught that like casual viewers. Yeah. Well, the other thing was it certainly didn't seem like he recognized her. Yeah. He doesn't have an established awesome memory for faces, so. True. Maybe he doesn't. But she says, you know, tomorrow's Thanksgiving. It's a day for family, for community. It is about welcoming different cultures and celebrating a gratitude for life together. That is what liberty is about. So that's her sort of take on Thanksgiving. Yep. Well, and it's interesting when we have Kara say this and then compared to Ben later trying to be all like, well, since I'm a history professor, I'm going to say this and people are going to be more inclined to believe me because in theory, I should know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what Kara says is actually not that far off from the truth. And so what was really curious about this is that Thanksgiving was not unique to the United States. It was something that European colonists brought over. But more to the point, days of Thanksgiving had been celebrated in the American colonies by not just the English, but also the Spanish and the French for like at least 50 years prior to what most of us are taught was the first Thanksgiving, which was in Plymouth in Massachusetts in 1621, I think it is. But that was not the first one. Virginia's actually got a record of having had them since the first settlement there, which was over 10 years before that. But it is one of the oldest U.S. holidays, generally speaking. It actually predates the creation of the country because the first noted one was during the American Revolution and they were continued when George Washington became president, although it wasn't formalized as a holiday until Lincoln's administration during the Civil War. And what's interesting about this and a thing to keep in mind is, number one, none of this had anything to do with the cutesy story that we know about like the pilgrims and the native people sharing things together and showing how we can all get along blah 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 <laughs> These holidays were declared for creating a sense of hope and unifying people in times of really intense suffering and moments when the United States was really grappling with its own national identity and sense of who we are as a country. And so that was a, an interesting use of it within the context of the show where you have the, this conflict over, you know, how is the United States perceiving this new wave of immigrants who are from other planets as opposed to just other countries. Thanksgiving also historically also had super heavy Christian overtones, which is a thing that people of other religious beliefs took issue with over the years. But for the most part, in the present day, we celebrate it as pretty secular. And what's interesting is that one of the motives, and this is from the, the first one during the revolution, it was meant to be a time where all of the people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts. And that's very similar to one of the reasons Kara expressed. And it's also very similar to what we've seen her do with her family on Thanksgiving. They say what they're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then when George Washington is the president, he writes an official notice declaring a holiday of Thanksgiving again in November when we traditionally celebrate it in 1789, saying that he wants to give thanks for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge. And that's actually a bit of a departure from historical celebrations of Thanksgiving, which were specifically about recognizing just like the physical, literal things that you have. He's also talking about recognizing that, particularly at this moment in time, that the United States had something that nowhere else in the world did. It was the first real representative government in modern history. And 
he understood his place in that history and that the government he was overseeing was very fragile. And so he really was trying to get people to recognize the significance of that and also to bring all the disparate states together. And so one of the other things that he says that was really striking was that he wanted to use that day to ask for the ability to render our government a blessing to all people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed. And so that's really striking too, in contrast to what you see in this episode with Colonel Haley and saying like, well, I'm only going to do this one thing because it's within my purview at the DEO versus then Lockwood kind of twisting the way he understands Thanksgiving and using it as a as kind of a dog whistle with his language to uh, play to the the hate group and the people who are really anti-alien. So it seems that you have no control who lives or dies who tells your story. Whoa, whoa, Hamilton reference right there. <laughs> you know, that's actually, I'm glad you said that though, because I had said to you that that actually is really relevant to what's happening with James. Hmm. But I was also thinking it's somewhat relevant to kind of what's happening with Kara as Supergirl in that how she's become so associated with working with the DEO mm. and the government. And it'll be interesting to see if she in some ways becomes a divisive figure within the alien community in the way that James has sort of become a divisive figure as a human because he's been sucked into being like the poster boy. Mm of the anti-alien movement. Yeah, there's a lot of this sense of like almost marketing yourself to people, which kind of goes back to the title, which is call to action, which is a marketing technique and yep. kind of your image and, and trying to persuade people to be for your own beliefs. So that's an interesting connection there between all the characters. Yeah. And then the other kind of interesting thing that came up in this episode, and this will tie the Thanksgiving thing together, and then also the, the debate between Kara and Lockwood, the Agent Liberty Manifesto that Phil had the thing with Twilight's last gleaming, which we then find out is they mean sunset as the time of attack. But for those who don't know or don't remember, that's a line out of the U.S. National Anthem, which was written during the War of 1812, when the British were at war with the United States and actually invaded the capital of the country, burned a whole lot of it, including the White House to the ground. The president had to flee. And then finally, the British Navy was repelled in another city further up the coast. And this is just interesting in how it fits back with the Thanksgiving conversation, because the president who was chased out of Washington was James Madison, who revived the tradition of Thanksgiving after the War of 1812, specifically to give thanks for the survival of the Republic through that period of crisis. And so then that fits together both Lockwood's reference to the, the national anthem and the fact that they're having this discussion about the history of Thanksgiving. Mm. So that was neat. Yeah. I don't know how intentional that one was. But, <laughs> um, so and another thing that was amusing to me as we were doing our notes for this episode was that there was so much historical reference and kind of rhetoric being used around U.S. conflicts with the British, specifically during the War of 1812, because we've now had Manchester Black added in, who is English, but then also is, you know, wearing his Union Jack standing next to Kara. So that was just a really funny combination yeah. of visuals. It was seeing him coming to Thanksgiving in this like American tradition. <laughs> yes. We were trying to figure out what Manchester had said to Eliza. Yeah. When he was describing Alex, he said it like Ench. Yep. 
which it turns out is hench. <laughs> yes, which I had to consult a person from that region of England to figure out <laughs> yes. what he said. I was like typing in different letters that go in front of hench. <laughs> I'd be like, what does this mean? <laughs> so it's apparently a relatively common slang word, and it was a compliment. So Eliza's puzzled, thank you, I guess, uh, <laughs> was a good reaction. Yes. Because he was kind of conveying that Alex is like really tough and like scrappy and a fighter. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a key clue in that these are definitely different cultures that are interacting in this Thanksgiving scene. I refer to it as the melting pot dinner. Yeah, no, it was really, when you stop and think about it, quite a striking collection of very different groups of people. Yeah, which kind of goes back to what Kara was saying and, and how she perceives Thanksgiving, because for her, very personally, it is about welcoming different cultures and celebrating, because we have the English human, Manchester Black, and then we have like four American humans, but then we also have a Martian, a Kaluan, and Brainy. Obviously, we have Kara, and then we have... Nia, who I'm curious to see how much of like a culture that she may or may not have, because we don't know her, the full picture of her like origin, but she's an alien as well, a Naltorian. So it's quite the quite the gaggle of friends that she has at Friendsgiving. Yeah. So her Thanksgiving is very much what she described it as. Yeah. Well, and also too for Kara, like this is why I said last week that Thanksgiving was such a is such a good choice of a holiday that they regularly used in the show. Because as Kara, who lost everything, having things to be thankful for is a really important part of who she is mm -hmm. because of the way her loss of her first family altered her perspective and made her so much more grateful for the family and the friends that she has. So yeah. I love Kara. <laughs> hard same. If I could give heart eyes right now, I would. <laughs> if you could turn your eyes into hearts, maybe Lena could do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want those hearts, thank you. <laughs> no, you don't want the tumorous, invincible heart. <laughs> Way to ruin my feelings there. <laughs> Jeez. This is fine. Um, yeah, so this show in general is very much about like found family, which is a theme that makes sense to integrate, considering Kara as a character. And all the adoption themes that we see throughout the series. We have like how many characters? There's like Kara was adopted, Lena was At adopted. Least four. Sam last season was adopted and then Wynn was in foster care Wynn was in foster care nia will have to see what her situation is so it's very much about found family and it makes for some interesting dynamics something that i've been tracking since the last episode was this idea of family as representative of society because hmm. last week we made the comparisons between paradise lost and frankenstein and this show and like paradise lost is a ideological struggle framed as almost like like God is the father and... Yeah, like a, with a family structure to it, kind of. Yeah, there's that like family dynamic while also being a representative of society. And you can kind of frame society as a family. And then that ties back into Supergirl in this episode in how we see all these different characters coming together as a family, but also having all these different viewpoints, which we see very clearly demonstrated in the debate they had at Thanksgiving dinner to tie in that debate theme again. All the storyline threads kind of converge at Kara 
chorus. We have Kara's like space fam scene, but then we also have Lockwood's family and they're kind of conflicting forces. Yeah, well, and it was interesting that we got to see them because I had commented last week that it looked like Ben was living alone in the abandoned yes. factory, but apparently he is leading, like Kara, a double life. Mm. Yes, but it's good timing that we see his family again now thematically. Yeah. But it was cool that all the storylines really meshed together and interacted in that couple of scenes that we had at Thanksgiving dinner. And it was also interesting to see when they were all sitting at the table talking before they had the revelation about Twilight's last gleaming mm-hmm. and put everything together. There was this like ominous dolly shot that went over the Thanksgiving table and like kind of slow tracking mm-hmm. in a scene that you would kind of expect to be lighter because it's like Thanksgiving and it's happy. Yeah, even though previous Thanksgivings we had tension. Yeah, <laughs> Alex making confessions and there being tension. But she didn't make a confession this year. No, oh, she didn't. Disappointed. I was saying that Lena stole her confession because. Oh, true. <laughs> because outside the door, she confessed to James that she had a hand in how he wasn't. Oh, here I thought you were going to say she confessed that she loved him, but <laughs> that, that too. Oh, that, that's, that's uh, also true. She did say like because I love you. Yeah, and I think that got lost in in the shuffle there because it yeah. like didn't register in his brain. No. There were a lot of secrets and uh, different things being revealed or attempting to be put together during this Thanksgiving montage with all of our hero characters all in one place. Mm-hmm. But the tone of it being like ominous was kind of unfortunately familiar. Kind of tying in that idea that the state of the world is kind of infiltrating spaces you might expect to be apart from it, separate from it. But then what's interesting is that all the characters are having this motivation of wanting to act to then protect their loved ones. Mm-hmm. But they all have very different opinions about how to go about that. They sure do. <laughs> and Manchester is there as almost like a a contrast he's an interloper he is that he's kind of like a contrast in the sense that he's definitely acting and taking matters into his own hands he has that call to action the same way the other characters do but it's after his sort of failure to protect his family Mm -hmm. yeah so he's kind of um character that has ulterior motives for going there to ask jean to feel him out and see if manchester would be able to get jean to read the minds of the guy he had chained up in his shower yeah But then it just made me think, because we have him set up all together with our little found family, our space fam. Mm-hmm. And it kind of emphasizes that it's probably going to feel like a real betrayal when everything that he's doing is revealed, especially to Jean, who is like so actively embracing this Ahimsa concept. Yeah. Well, and Kara's not going to be too thrilled with it either. No, especially I think we're seeing that they're going to interact again next episode. Yeah. So that's kind of, in a way, what I wish had happened with Rain. Mm. Something I'd hoped for really early on when we didn't like know everything about her. Yeah. That sort of sense of betrayal as opposed to what it was, which was more like sadness. <laughs> yeah. Sadness for her her struggle. Yeah. So it'd be cool to see that. We haven't really had, have we had a, like a full on betrayal from any of our characters? No, I don't think so. So that'll be interesting. An interpersonal, like, ethical, you're not who I thought you were. And speaking of Jean, we didn't have, like, a whole lot going on in this episode, except for in terms of interacting with Manchester and interacting with Car and Alex. But we saw a really nice discussion about mind reading. Mm, yeah. And he said that it's a kind of violence in a way, which then ties back into that Ahimsa concept that we talked about in the Ahimsa episode, where it's not just physical violence. The concept is cause no injury of any kind, which means, like, physical, mental, emotional etc. Yeah. So that was a nice touch and something that has kind of been in the back of my mind, at least in terms of the ethics of Jean's mind reading. Yeah, because they kind of implied a little bit in parts of season one that he would use it at least occasionally. Mm-hmm. 
because he makes that aside to Alex about how he can't read Astra's mind to find out what her plans are. And I think he also knew that Alex was gay. So we've seen in the past that he hasn't seemed as concerned about mind reading ethically. Um, although we did see him really struggling with the idea of erasing people's memories in season one. Yeah. Especially because it wasn't like a surgical strike. It could really mess the person up. Yeah. I think the person like forgot maybe his family or something. The, yeah, the one guy that he interrogated and then wiped his mind when um he went to Max Lord's lab. Yeah. During like the whole Bizarro storyline. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. And one thing with Jean, James, and Manchester, I think is interesting, is that we have Manchester and James, they have the same sort of belief system in the sense that they both believe that aliens are like people. A thing that should be obvious, but apparently isn't. <laughs> yes, but they're like on different extremes of how to handle that idea. Because we see Manchester literally like shooting people. And then we see James, who is getting too enmeshed with the other side at this moment. And Jean is kind of like a nice middle ground where he has nonviolent methods, but he's also not really becoming enmeshed and he's like in more of an ideological intolerance of hate. Mm, yeah. So we have over-tolerance with James, absolute intolerance with Manchester, and then that kind of mixture of method versus ideological intolerance with John. Yeah. So an interesting scale. Which then is also extra interesting when you consider that John is an alien and the others aren't. Yes, also true. Fitting that he's got it right. <laughs> So then, in terms of looking at the way these characters are trying to handle the whole, like, Earth-first terrorist movement, mm -hmm. and then to tie it back to both the idea of protecting people and then this other kind of motif that came up with, with debates and, and disagreement and how you handle them, we had a really good, like, micro look at that conflict with what was going on with James, not just in his attempts to interact with the members of the Children of Liberty, but also specifically in his relationship with Lena and how they're both very opinionated characters and were kind of really, really drawing lines in the sand and, and butting heads with each other and creating tension in this episode. In a way that they really, it seemed like they were avoiding for quite some time. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, this is finally happening. And it was probably the most interesting that I've ever found them as a dynamic. Yeah. Well, because we've always seen them kind of more unified in a way in like where they both are agreeing in opposition to someone else, like with the whole Morgan Edge situation, for example. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen them kind of like learning and feeling each other out, but they've always managed to come to an understanding or to work out whatever was a problem, like talking about James's history with Superman and Lena as a Luther and all of that. And the gun control debate that they had where it was kind of like, this is fine. <laughs> we could agree to disagree. <laughs> We're going to agree to disagree and not talk about that. Yes. <laughs> but now this is really like a fault line where they can't ignore each other's opinions anymore because James is putting his own life in danger, which is really what starts off the whole mm -hmm. problem. Kind of goes back to that idea of like love in a time of crisis. Yep. <laughs> In the same way that the politics is infiltrating the sort of family space of Thanksgiving, it's also becoming impossible to ignore in their relationship. Yes. So on the one hand, we have James, who very much is feeling this call to action throughout the episode. And in terms of analyzing the character, I'm wondering if maybe he's feeling sort of confined and, and like backed into a corner. And that's kind of why he's really pushing this idea. Backed into a corner how? Well, you mean because of the way they've been using him in the media? Yeah, the sense that he suddenly is this public figure in a different way where people also know that he's guardian. Mm. So, you know, you're thinking logically, you shouldn't be the one trying to find this guy and it gives you access, but 
but the fact that you are this public figure also means that James has access, but also because he's a public figure, there's this extra weight and like responsibility that he has. And then interpersonally with Lena, the sense that she's kind of trying to control him in a way to protect him. So there's that sense of being locked into the situation where everybody knows about him and he has to behave a certain way. But then also we see with Lockwood, he's backing him into a corner where he's putting him in this role. And then we see with Lena, how she wants him to do certain things to behave a certain way, kind of pushing that, Mm. trying to make him aware of the public eye on him. And so James is kind of just like, no, I can can do this thing, despite kind of all the signs trying to push him one way or the other. Yeah, James is like, I'm grown and I do what I want. (laughs) Yes. And there's also that sense of like pride that we see come up in a couple conversations with Lena, like where he says that he kind of feels like she thinks that he can't do it, like can't manage to do it. Yeah. And it's the same kind of like flavor of pride that we see with Kara, where she thinks that she can talk to people and get through to them. But it's kind of a situational thing where sometimes it's a good trait to have, but depending on who you're talking to and context can also be very damaging and worrying as we're seeing with James. Yeah. And then another little interpersonal thing that I thought was interesting was when Lena makes her Thanksgiving confession, (laughs) where she... She disabuses him of the notion that he got out of trouble on his own, which was part of what was making him feel self-assured in the first place. Hmm. But then he's upset that she lied. And she's like, well, I would do it again if I had to, because I will do anything to protect the people I love. And he's a little taken aback by that, because... Like, <laughs> it's a little intense. That's extreme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting and not entirely comparable, but sort of comparable to when Kara had the Red K incident. Mm, yeah. And kind of revealed a darker side of herself. And James was like, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anything to do with this. And in both cases, you know, there was merit the fact that he needed space from Kara after everything. And <laughs> what Lena says is kind of like, maybe you don't want to be in a relationship where the other person is willing to cross any line for you. I know a character like Kara would not find that to be attractive. It was something that she tried to really remove from Monel's character where he would just do whatever. Forsake everything. Yeah. When she was in trouble, wanted to just run away with her, abandoned the people that he was supposed to protect in order to help her. So it's reasonable that you wouldn't want to maybe be in a relationship like that. Yeah. That kind of tunnel vision or single-mindedness is not healthy either. But it is a little interesting touch of continuity where James has a tendency to back away from somebody once something dark is revealed. Yeah. Well, and it's also a nice touch of continuity with Lena in terms of how once she sets her mind on something or latches onto someone, it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. Which we saw not just in her conversation with James, but also when she works on things in the lab. And we've seen her like that since season two, even. Mm -hmm. That like black and white thinking. Yeah. Which is a sign of somebody who does and have like healthy perception of things and it's interesting though because they have that interaction where james feels betrayed and and like walks away from lena and if if the situation were flipped that would not fly with lena either no definitely would not no (laughs) and that sense of like this is done now now that you've crossed a line is something that we actually saw with her last season with supergirl Mm -hmm. it was the same situation basically where somebody was trying to control in a way yeah and you know on lena's side of the lena and james confrontation we have her feeling that need to act to protect family as well she literally says toward the end of the episode the people we love are going to need our protection and that's something that we've seen throughout her relationship with james this season where she fears for him and thus acts 
perhaps without his permission, and try to, to control everything. And that idea of control is a really big factor for her character. And like a couple little touches of sort of that need to control that we saw in this episode were the fact that she springs the counterpoint daily appearance on Jane's last minute, which... And she tries to sweeten it by buying him something new to wear. Yeah. Which in its own way is also a little controlling. Yes. And it doesn't really make sense to me for Lena to tell them him that information last minute unless she was trying to, you know, again, back him into a corner in a way. Yeah, it's very manipulative. Yeah. It's kind of like something her mother would do. Yeah. <laughs> Which is consistent with her character where she's kind of going down this dark path and not quite realizing the similarities that are growing between her and her mother which if you know somebody turned a mirror on her would probably horrify her and she also with him then uses the fact that she's the boss after he says that he's not going to go on the show and like yes she is (laughs) the boss and she can tell her employee what to do but it's not a good move for her as the boss to put James in the spotlight while she's not sure that he's going to renounce the children of liberty yeah honestly him being on there could have gone much worse than Kara's being there yeah like we saw with Kara just the fact that Kara couldn't be like no James Olsen is not aligned with the children of liberty was a kind of a big yeah she hesitated she didn't actually respond to that mm-hmm. uh, and then he also kind of continued to talk over her but um as yeah. <laughs> yes that was something between James and Kara during the Thanksgiving scene that was interesting while we had that like ominous mm. dolly shot across the thing where he like apologized that she was put in that position and that she kind of paused and then slightly changed the subject like didn't say it was okay I'm wondering if maybe she thought the fact that she couldn't say that yeah she was not associated with them yeah might have changed her sort of lenience toward that idea yeah well and it'll be interesting to see if that conflict continues to develop a little bit between James and Kara because we've seen them so much more together so far this season, but also because he and Kara butted heads over the whole Guardian thing to begin with as well. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, next episode will be a good time for that to happen. We sure will. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so with Lena and the controlling thing, we actually see it come up not just with James in this episode. We see it in kind of everywhere that she's doing. It's almost like when she panics or she's stressed out, her reaction is to try to clamp down on like everything else around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where she like has this at the end of the episode, she decides to go ahead and, and start human trials, which seems like a terrible idea on an experiment that hasn't done a single thing that she wanted it to. And she's yeah. not even sure what it's doing now. So mm. so it's like she panics and then she like <laughs> just makes this decision and, and like tries to get this control, but ironically in a very chaotic way. She's trying to like grasp that power so that she can feel like she and the people she loves are safe. Yeah. She says that, you know, there's a civil war between human and aliens coming and people that we love are going to need our protection. But you're you're offering power to the people who are threatening the people you love. Yeah. But she's thinking from her point of view, if I have more of this power, I will be able to control more. Mm -hmm. Well, and that makes sense in the context of her character who comes from a very powerful family. Mm -hmm. And then Alex, during the Thanksgiving mini debate that they have, says in response to this idea that Lena proposes of giving humans power, which would make them, I don't know, feel less inferior and and thus they wouldn't want to hurt anyone anymore. (laughs) Um, In theory. (laughs) Yeah. 
Alex says, and who would get to decide who gets them? They'd be playing God, which then ties into this overarching theme that we've been talking about a lot with Lena, which is like her playing God and connecting that to her science and connecting that to the messages within Frankenstein, which the next episode is called Rather the Fallen Angel, which I presume will be where some of these themes are really highlighted. Yeah. Because Frankenstein is about, you know, science. Science and, and playing God and creating life through experiments and that going pretty terribly. Well, and it was also nice to get that exchange between Lena and Alex because they were also ethically at odds with each other in the situation over Sam last season, but they never confronted each other directly about it. Mm. And this is where you kind of get to see the difference in their backgrounds and Alex coming at it from a medicinal point of view where you have to think through like, you know, what's harmful and what's not. And also her background with the DEO in terms of thinking about things in terms of threats and crises and that kind of stuff. Whereas Lena as an engineer is mostly just, can I do it? And less focused on consequences or policies that need to be in place in order to make it work Mm -hmm. systemically. Like she can make the technology work, but in terms of how it's going to influence society, that's less her focus. Mm-hmm. And and Alex is also part of like a system and like a part of the government and it's like constantly working with other people. Yeah to solve problems whereas lena we see like as a business owner has this very like individualized view of how to fix things and and it's all about how she on her own has the capability and the resources to be able to solve problems yep well and then the other thing that was kind of fun in that conversation was you have lena being like well but you know people could need powers to be equal to the aliens and Kara's like okay but there are people in this room who don't (laughs) (laughs) And Alex just kind of looks at her and is like, no, which is hilarious because, you know, you have Alex who like aliens are freaking afraid of. Mm-hmm. And she's right. You know, technology for her is the equalizer. And Lena, as an inventor of technology, should get that. But there's something there. Mm-hmm. And that's where Lena's prejudices still haven't been fully tested. Mm-hmm. There's still something in there that prevents her from recognizing that. Yeah. It's like she gets as far as recognizing that this is a problem and that the people that she loves are at risk because people hate aliens specifically. But it doesn't quite go all the way where it's like, maybe we shouldn't be creating more opportunities or avenues for people to continue to harm aliens. Yeah. And in that sense, I feel like that's a natural outgrowth of like the conflict over the gun thing last season, too. Mm. Yeah. Because it's an idea of, well, this is for security and safety and... There's a quote, and it's, uh, those who would give up their essential liberty to purchase temporary safety deserve neither. Ooh. <laughs> well, and actually, Alex's point with uh, being like, why would you want to give these people more powers and how would you decide, actually fits really nicely with the conclusion that Haley comes to at the end of the conflict between Alex and her, which is that she recognizes that the children of liberty are a problem because they're actually going to have the ripple effect of having aliens with dangerous powers reacting to them and potentially causing damage or further public unrest and it's like okay so lena you have these humans who are beating aliens up already and scaring them and causing all kinds of damage why would you want to give the humans more ability (laughs) to do that yeah (laughs) if you give everyone a gun we will all be safe (laughs) 
Yep. So really, Lena is very much being driven by fear, which is that overarching theme for the whole season, that hope versus fear. Whereas Alex is not afraid. (laughs) No, and I've commented on this before, but like the flashback from last season was just so perfect in showing how very (laughs) not afraid Alex is. And the the interesting contrast there is that because her family was open-minded enough to adopt this other child who literally could like burn their house down and kill them all at any moment. Alex has grown up into someone who is really not intimidated by much of anything (laughs) because she's grown up with Kara this whole time. And it's just funny when you remember the scene in Midvale where Kara's in the dark and she gets scared and her heat vision goes off and Alex is like, okay, really get it under control. As opposed to being like, you almost killed me. (laughs) Or being afraid. Like, Kara's actually intimidated by Alex a lot of the time as a kid, which as a little sister makes sense, but as like this super powered person really doesn't. (laughs) And it goes back also to Kara's approach, which is like, you know, having relationships and understanding people is how you move past all these tensions and, and these fears and stuff mm-hmm. yeah i mean combine the fact that like if alex is in a situation that she is a human despite her resourcefulness and her various devices <laughs> in a situation where that she can't handle she has not only a whole team alongside her but also supergirl and the martian manhunter martian manhunter and it's through like working with aliens and humans that they diffuse dangerous situations yes exactly in strong contrast with you know lena and her soul savior approach yes only i can save you sam you can't call your doctor (laughs) or leave this building and i'm going to inject you with a neurotoxin now everything's fine i am the only one no we can't call supergirl the people who are like why are you changing lena and making her so out of character i'm like did you watch season three I mean, yeah, since the beginning, there's been like... Or season two, even. It has been pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex and Kara are very much stronger together. And much of this has been imbued in them from best mom, Eliza Danvers, who in this episode, which is very exciting, Kara referred to as my mom. I know. Everyone who we watched this with had the same reaction to that line, which was, oh my God, she called her her mom, Mm -hmm. which was really exciting because every season in the past, anytime Kara has had to talk about specifically Eliza, she's really kind of tripped over her words a little bit, or she'll put the qualifier of like, my foster mom, my adoptive mom, blah, blah, blah. And, And that makes sense, of course, because... Kara had parents and wanted to honor the memory of them. But the fact that she chooses to say that so casually and she doesn't stumble over it at all in this particular episode was a nice nod to all the psychological progress that she's made since all the events of season three in the sense that because she had the whole experience of finding Argo. She's just like, she's in a much better emotional place as far as reconciling the two different parts of her life and making peace with them. And it's left her room to also now acknowledge, you know, the whole Danvers family as genuinely being her family. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have to like honor the memory of her mother because she has more of a, a real pathway to interacting with her. Like she's definitely out there and there's no sort of insecurity about the fact that she raised her and there's not as much weight upon the fact that Kara has to remember her yeah it doesn't well and it doesn't feel like she'd erase her yes by say by calling eliza her mother too 
because she's out there existing. Yeah. We did get our wish to see Science Mom. We did. And I'm glad we weren't the only people who were excited to see Eliza in this episode. <laughs> Are you referring to Jean? <laughs> I might be referring to Jean, who, like me, was sad that she couldn't stay longer. Yeah. I mean, all we're saying is that they would work well together. Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm also curious, too, to see if we'll see her again because of the little snippet that Alex dropped about the conference, specifically being about children of interspecies relationships. Yeah. This sort of thing is like right up her alley. So it would make sense to have her back. So I hope that it's possible. We're just saying. <laughs> uh, also, it was really cute to see her totally mom out with Nia, too. Yeah, that was cute. wonder if she was like, this is familiar to me <laughs> in, in reference to raising Cara. Well, and it was also funny, and you commented on this already as we were setting up of how very similar in terms of personality Nia and Kara can be sometimes. And just the way Nia was scrambling with her cover story and tripping over her words and mm -hmm. like inadvertently kind of calling Eliza old in like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making that like social flub. Yeah, it was just very Kara. It was great. Yes. <laughs> And I'm sure Eliza was amused. <laughs> yeah. So the presence of Eliza really made this a, a family episode. <laughs> Truly did. Her calm and soothing presence. That and Jean having like total dad role of being like, let's have the turkey. <laughs> Perfect. Which, if you'll also note, he intervened when the politically tense yeah, conversation right? was getting a little too much and was <laughs> like, food! Yeah. <laughs> Kara's one true weakness. <laughs> True. And in terms of the family, this being a very family oriented episode thematically and with the characters, we ended on our kind of core space fan. We did. A trio. We have Kara, Alex, and Jean. Which is so nice because last season, as much as we got scenes of like Kara with Jean or Alex with Jean, we didn't get as many with the three of them together that weren't like mm -hmm. action related. So this was really nice. Yeah. They were kind of venting their fears that they didn't say in front of everybody else. <laughs> Yes. We we saw the presence of the core trio of the series, and then we also saw during this kind of venting process what I think is going to encapsulate the season pretty well. A quote from Alex, she says, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. It's going to be a, a struggle and, and makes sense for the way that they've kind of laid out these pieces, as opposed to last season where it was kind of all leading to a climactic like reveal and a climactic battle. We have this where it's kind of like a constant back and forth struggle to like win over the hearts and minds of National City. Yeah. And you had a couple examples very currently in this episode for that one step forward, two steps back concept. Yeah. So if you want to look at it in, in terms of that, we actually did have kind of one victory-ish and then two big setbacks, which we had Alex kind of scoring a little bit of a win in the conclusion of her story with Colonel Haley because she manages to not only avoid trouble, which is something she's very good at, um, <laughs> but she also gets Colonel Haley to recognize that the Children of Liberty are a threat. It's not for the reason that Alex thinks they're a threat, but it's a step in the right direction, so she'll take it. Um, and then she also manages to push herself a little bit closer back to equal footing yeah. by saying flat out, you know, you can threaten me however you want, but that's not going to stop me from doing my job because that's how I got this job and that's why people respect me. And she kind of sassily <laughs> plays yes. back with the salute thing. Mm, just a nice little exchange. It was. It was a good scene. But in terms of steps backwards, the debate that Lena organized and that Kara took part in was a step back because that gave Lockwood 
ground because the host of Counterpoint called him up and offered him his own show. Yeah. Now he's got a mainstream platform to put his more rational spin on his ideas out for public consumption, which is going to be bad. Sure is. <laughs> and then you have the, the other very obvious step back, which is James thinking he had kind of gotten through to the one guy when he went and stopped him, only to discover he's being ambushed and like taken away in a van. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen to him. And this was exactly what Lena was afraid of. And as we kind of saw from the teaser for next week, it's going to put everything into a very big crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So next week should be interesting. It's called Rather the Fallen Angel, which is the title that I've been looking forward to. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I'm ready for Bunker Hill, which is another history one. Yeah. And I'm like, sci-fi. <laughs> history. They go together. <laughs> So we'll see Lena starting her human trials next week. And if I do not see at least one meme with a joke about Jar of Hearts, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I also pointed out to you, I was like, Lena, you made an invincible heart that has cancer. That doesn't seem like a good omen. No, no. <laughs> And then we also have James, obviously, his situation with Kara, in which she is captured by the Children of Liberty, it seems like, with nth metal chains, probably. I would assume so, because wasn't that what they used in season two when they had her in Cadmus? Yeah, in the cage. Yeah. Bars were made of that, and that's, I think, the only metal that Kara can't just, like, punch to get through. Well, and the other thing about that that's interesting is I've brought this up now in a couple different episodes, is that Lockwood has been really clever at finding ways to use use alien technology and alien powers against other aliens mm. so that that's a nice yeah continuation of that and especially with the symbolism of it being the metal that put his father's plants out of business yes it also it seems like she's going to be working with manchester black as we talked about mm -hmm. before she's captured and then she's locked up in some sort of monument oh which will be interesting to see what that is yeah i don't recognize it as a real thing so people from canada where is it <laughs> Which fine piece of Vancouver architecture? We'll see if there's some sort of interesting history of it. And I think we're probably also pushing closer to seeing Nia finally talk about her powers and her status as an alien because you did have Kara at the end when she and Alex were questioning why Nia would have lied to both Eliza and Kara about the doctor thing, going like, huh, why would she lie? And Kara has like this beat of almost recognition mm -hmm. on her face at the end. So it'll be curious to see if we get closer to it in this episode because I know that Kevin Smith's already talked about he's directing 408 and he's mentioned that we get to see Neo's powers in more detail at that point. Yes. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. And tie into that sort of idea of having that secret that you're an alien and coming out and such. And it would make sense for the characters to be aware that this is a possibility considering how much more involved aliens are in the society of Supergirl. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the thing with the coming out as an alien, it'll be really interesting to see who Nia chooses to disclose that to when we get to that point, especially after we had that previous episode at Catco where some of the other younger employees were harassing the one alien who was there mm. because James pretty forcefully put that down. But now that James is like not disavowing yeah. the sentiments of the Children of Liberty, how much weight is that going to carry anymore before it becomes a problem for him as the owner of Catco mm -hmm. in terms of keeping a lid on that kind of treatment? Because I can't imagine Kara standing for that at all. 
No. <laughs> and I also don't know that I could see Lena tolerating it. Yeah. So we'll see where the end of this next episode takes us. Yeah. It's getting a little intense, but I'm actually really enjoying the fact that they've stepped up the level of the intensity of the storytelling and that they're, they've made a concerted effort to enhance the complexity of it. And so far, it's paid off pretty well, I think. Yeah, I also think. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you for listening on this fantastic holiday weekend if you're in the United States. And hopefully you also had a pleasant Thanksgiving that was not filled with dragon attacks. <laughs> so as usual, feel free to hit us up with any comments or questions or feedback in general at either Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram on Supergirl's Attic. And we'll be back next week to let Cycles have at it with her sci-fi theme. <laughs> Thanks for listening.